editing Meredith here. This wasn't planned as a two-parter, but there was just so much to say about Mandrakes that I decided to split the episode in half. So, you can look forward to part two next week. And you'll get an extra week of romantic plants for February. I hope that's fun for at least some of you. Uh, so far, it's fun for me. Welcome to the Herbarium of the Bazaar, a collection of strange and spooky plants. I'm your host, Meredith Hemphill. I thought I would talk about some romantic plants for the first few weeks of February. You know, Valentine's Day and all that. But y'all probably know by now that I have a pretty warped soul. I usually celebrate Valentine's Day with chocolate and a slasher movie. So it really shouldn't come as a surprise that I'm not talking about roses. Although that's actually not a bad idea. I should do that sometime. Today, though, we're talking about mandrakes. Like many millennials, I first learned about mandrakes from Harry Potter. But this plant has actually been found in written records for as long as we've had them. Mesopotamians were writing about mandrakes in cuneiform thousands of years ago. It was a very important plant in medical and magical practices from antiquity through the Renaissance, when it slowly began to go out of style. We still haven't forgotten about it, though. Mandrakes belong to the genus Mandragora. There are between three and five species in the genus, but only one or two, which are native to the Mediterranean, are the mandrakes that all the fuss is about. Whether it should be one species or two has been a matter of debate for more than 300 years. In ancient times, people referred to a male and female mandrake or a white and black mandrake, referring to a difference in root color. Mandrakes do not have separate male and female plants, but the differences people were observing may refer to two distinct species. Mandragora officinarum has pale roots and blooms in the spring with greenish-white flowers. Mandragora autumnalis has dark roots and blooms in the fall with pale purple flowers. But some taxonomists consider them both one species. These are the things botanists argue about. Whether one species or two, mandrakes are a low-growing, perennial herb with rich green leaves that remind me very much of kale. The five-petaled flowers emerge on short, thick stems in the center of the rosette of leaves. They produce yellow berries that supposedly look like tiny apples, although I personally think they look more like tomatoes, to each their own. The mandrake's roots are the star of the show, however. Mandrakes have thick, forked roots that can grow to kind of look like little people, if you use your imagination. And we humans have a lot of imagination as a species. This feature gave us all kinds of ideas for what those roots could do. It wasn't all our imagination, though. Mandrakes belong to our favorite family of psychoactive plants, the Solanaceae. So they do, in fact, have effects on the human body. 
Mandrakes contain the tropane alkaloids atropine, hyoscyamine, mandragorine, and scopolamine, which you probably remember from last week's scary story. And mandrakes can be deadly poisonous. However, they were actually an important medicine for a long time. Mandrake has powerful narcotic and sedative effects. Before the invention of synthetic anesthetics or painkillers, mandrake was used to sedate and soothe patients for medical and surgical procedures. Actually, mandrakes were used for a lot of ailments. A paper titled The Rise and Fall of Mandrake in Medicine, published in the Journal of Ethnopharmacology, analyzed 153 historical texts spanning about 2,300 years and identified 88 different medical uses for mandrake. A major reason mandrake became so wildly popular was the doctrine of signatures. This was a medieval Christian belief that God designed plants to tell humankind what they ought to be used for. Thus, if a plant or part of a plant resembled a part of the human body, then it must be good for treating ailments of that part of the body. As you can probably guess, this often did not go well. But it is where we get some common names for plants that are still in use today, like liverwort. Because mandrake roots resemble an entire human body, well, that must be good for whatever ails you. For this reason, mandrake roots were common as good luck charms, too, worn somewhere in or on the clothing to just protect your whole body and, maybe, control your destiny. By the same line of thinking, it was also believed that the roots kind of look like babies. So, mandrakes came to be seen as an aphrodisiac and a fertility aid. Eating the berries was said to be the best if you wanted an aphrodisiac. I wouldn't think a plant that causes hallucinations and puts you to sleep would be the best choice for that. Some legends die hard, though. For fertility, sleeping with a mandrake root under your pillow was a common recommendation, which at least wouldn't hurt anything. In part two, we'll talk more about the uses of mandrake in folk magic, as well as its associations with medieval European witchcraft. Stay tuned! Herbarium of the Bazaar is written, hosted, and edited by Meredith Hemphill. Special thanks to Sandra Hemphill for her research for this episode. Our outro music, Spooky Evening, is by James Mylor. Find him on Pixabay. If you have questions, corrections, or topic suggestions, email us at herbariumbazaar at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at Herbarium Bazaar. You can find Herbarium of the Bazaar on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, or wherever quality podcasts are aired. Please rate and review. It really does help us out. Don't forget to hug a tree today. Thanks for listening. <laughs>